Hello everybody and welcome to Turalura, the podcast where my good friend Josh O'Loughlin and myself Christian Duxted are exploring folk songs. And I am all alone currently. Uh, hopefully Josh will show up uh, any time. Uh, in the meantime, I'll just go through some of the housekeeping. Uh, we have a Facebook page called Turalura. You can find us at uh, Turalura Podcast on Instagram. And our email address is, as always, Podcast at gmail.com. Two O's in Tura and two O's in Lura, as Josh always says. It's pretty obvious. It's in the podcast title, but you'll find us there. Please send us an email in. Send us a message. Tag us in the story. If you like what you're hearing, you can review us on Apple Podcast. We really, really appreciate that. I'm just sitting here in my bedroom in Oslo drinking a glass of iced Barry's tea with a little bit of honey and a little bit of lemon and a little bit of whiskey and I'm waiting for Josh he should really be here now um Josh he said he was gone for a piss but Josh jeez what what's this That's weird. I just got a letter. Dear Christian, I hope this letter finds you well. Unfortunately, I'm writing to you to express a little bit of a predicament that I encountered on my way to the Jacks before we began to record an episode of the renowned podcast Tora Laura that everyone naturally knows is the greatest and best folk music podcast of modern times. Anyway, this letter finds me in an awful sorry state. I just consider myself lucky that I can still write these words with the few fingers that I still currently use. To make a long story short, My delightful tale of misery and woe began when I got up to go to the jacks. Little did I know that my shoelace was untied. I tripped and fell face first onto my little brother's skateboard, which proceeded to wheel me head first into a closed door. When I finally managed to stand up, I was so dizzy that I stumbled into the bathtub and brought half of the things on the shelf down on top of me. This included a set of scissors that almost took off three fingers on my left hand. By this point, I was sprawled on my feckin' back in the middle of the bath with a face covered in shampoo and moisturiser, and I couldn't see a thing. I attempted to feel my way out, but in my confusion, I climbed out from the wrong side and unintentionally jumped out the fucking second-story window. By this point, as I'm sure you can imagine, I was fairly bollocksed. To make matters worse, my jocks got caught in the satellite dish on the way down. My trousers were ripped off of me, but not before I got the mother of all wedgies. I'm talking worse than a schoolyard bully. It was fairly feckin' painful. 
You'd think my troubles had ended there, but mother of God, they definitely hadn't. I landed on the neighbor's hedge, rolled in pain into her yard. She has a dog, a big, hairy, angry MF of a dog. And now I have bite marks on me arse. But to top it all off, she arrived home right at that moment to find a naked screaming man covered in shaving foam having a UFC fight with her German Shepherd on the lawn. She called the guards. So here I am, Christian. A hungry feeling came o'er me stealing and the mice are squealing here in my prison cell. I'm still fairly bollocksed, to be honest. Waiting for Mammy to come and pick me up. So I don't think I'm going to make it to the podcast. I hope you can understand. Yours sincerely, Josh. P.S. If you ever need any kind of a bullshit excuse, lads, clearly I'm the man to call. Welcome to Tora Laura. The song we're exploring today is a song called The Sick Note, a tough tale about poor Paddy, a worker who used an excuse similar to the story I just spun to get out of spending the day at work. Let's have a dive in and see what happens. Poor Paddy, but thank God you're here, Josh. <laughs> I would not have been able to do this episode alone, especially since this is your brainchild in terms of choice of song. I'm not an expert on this song that we're going to talk about today. It's an interesting one nonetheless, though, because it definitely, uh, there's there's a lot of really interesting themes and topics going into this that delve very, very strongly into recent Irish history. I'm highly intrigued. You told me about the song a few weeks ago and suggested it for uh, an episode. And it is certainly a great song, humorous, funny, and you can get a good laugh out of it. But as I understand, it is very much a serious uh, topic and built on a very serious basis. Yeah, there can be dark and serious connotations with this topic and theme I know this particular song is humorous, but when you think about it and you think about songs like this, this this is the sick note, by the way, songs like the sick note and songs like McAlpine's Fusiliers, on the surface, they have a good laugh and we think about them and we say, oh, that's funny, like what happened to this guy and Jesus, he hurt himself, isn't it hilarious? But this is, these are true stories. These things happened constantly, like throughout the second half of the 20th century over in England. There was an awful lot of Irishmen that were working construction and would have had accidents, would have been exploited, became very poor in their later years. There's a lot of really, really um, sad stories. There's some success stories too, thank God, but it's definitely an interesting topic. Yeah, like you said, Josh, the song is The Sick Note, famously played by the likes of the Dubliner. But the song actually, like compared to a lot of songs that we've done recently where we've gone down rabbit holes and tried to find out who wrote them, on some dark forum on the on the dark side of, <laughs> the dark of Google or or in the depths of Mudcat or somewhere. This song has just an obvious answer and sometimes that's delightful too. This this is a song written by a man named Pat Cooksey and Pat was born in Limerick. Like it's so easy to do research when <laughs> we're talking about a a living a real songwriter. Person. A real, a real person, living songwriter with his own website online with his own biography just laid out, re- <laughs> ready to read out for the people of 
podcast land. But yeah, he was born in uh, in Limerick in the west of Ireland, 1945, and spent his early years in English cities, the English cities of Liverpool and Coventry, where his father worked as a coal miner, which is fitting. Like His childhood probably had a lot to do with what sort of songs he wrote later yeah. in life um, and he is very famous for these type of songs like he's also famously credited as the writer for The Reason I Left Mullingar which was made famous by the Furies an absolutely great song with similar themes again to work till I'm dead for two rooms and a bed is not the reason I left Mullingar and again these are all beautiful songs but they echo kind of the loneliness and the hard times that these Irish people had to live at the time over in England working for what was sometimes very little money and having to send most of that money home. It was a tough time. But yeah, uh, Pat Cooksey had a really, really uh, interesting history of his own that really added to the themes he wrote about, I think. I was going to say that he credited himself here on irishfolksongs.com that the song The Sick Note was based on Gerard Hoffnung's address to the Oxford Union. I'm not sure what that means, but if you want to look it up, I will do the same after this episode to see what his address was. Um, he says the story in a more simple form dates back to the English music halls in the 1920s and appeared in Reader's Digest in 1937 and a really interesting thing to note is that this was the time around around wartime 1937-38 was the time that Irish contractors were starting to be employed to rebuild England after the Second World War so this was the time when that immigration would have started in abundance there was always immigration to England, obviously, but this was the construction time. And like I said, the second half of the 1900s is when a huge, huge, huge population of Irish men immigrated to England and took up construction work. Yeah. Mostly, like, most of it was unplanned. They would land over in the hopes of work and they would take work day by day from the ganger men who would be the bosses of the sites or the construction companies. They were famous... There were famous construction bosses at the time who were also all Irish. Um, there was Ash, Wimpy, uh, Johnny Lang, uh, McAlpine, as you know from McAlpine's Fusiliers. Um, there, w- there was loads. There was loads of very famous bosses at the time. And we will get into that in a few minutes because they have a whole history of their own. But um, these Irish men went over and that's kind of the basis of all of these songs and all of these stories. They were working construction and they had tough lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we jump into that, uh, just a mm. few more words on on Pat Cooksey. He, like you said, he wrote this song uh, in in 1969. He wrote his what is described as his comedy classic, The Sick Note, on his own website. Even though it's it's uh, tackling a very serious topic, indeed, it, it is a comedy song or it's written as it is, a comedy yeah. song and that's yeah. why we want to try and keep it lighthearted as much as possible like we'll do Dubliners, our best <laughs> <laughs> the, du- the Dubliners sing this as a comedy song and when it's requested like a lot of tourists request this which always surprises me because it never struck me as a highly popular song but in my experience gigging and playing music around the world it's a well known song that people always request and uh, they request it for the laugh much like Finnegan's Wake and Seventeen yeah. Come Sunday, these songs are requested for a bit of a laugh and to have the crack and <laughs> listen to how silly he was. He's after breaking his body. Yeah, it's it's sort of like very, um, very mistakenly ends up in that same category, like you said, with Finnegan's Wake, maybe with uh, Seven Drunken Nights, that sort of theme of of uh, 
yeah uh, another excuse and then another excuse and then like it's it's a a mm-hmm. funny topic and what can he come up with today what's what's the reason now that he's yeah. not going into the, work but <laughs> the interesting thing to me is like when you listen to it and you wonder to yourself is this something that has actually happened or is he making this up because like you said he spins another tale and he adds more to it and more to it and it gradually gets worse and worse and worse until we're thinking to ourselves this man should be dead <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know <laughs> So, but ironically, that is probably one of Cooksey's points that they a lot of them did have to go through things that no person yeah. should have to go through. Yeah, and famously, like the song Paddy on the Road, just like the song McAlpine's Fusiliers, these songs are about poor Irish workers who actually did die on yeah. the construction sites and were completely disregarded by their bosses or the higher officials. Uh, there's one story there about a guy who was built into the new Victoria line he was physically built into it by accident. Jesus Christ almighty. Again, supposed to be a humorous comedic song, but this is where we're at. <laughs> Do you oh know, God. all of these happy melodies. I mentioned it the other day in a previous podcast. These happy melodies with all these dark connotations. Everybody died, la la la. Isn't it great? <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah. But but yeah, Pat Cooksey, he lived in, in England for a while and then he came to Ireland and he did warm-up spots with the Furies, which I found interesting. The Fury Brothers, which you famously, Josh, have, have played banjo with for for uh, a few years. That is true. That is true. And he wrote a song that the Furies made into a hit, as I mentioned, the, the reason I left Mullingar. And yeah. that is one of my favourite recordings by the Furies. It's a gorgeous song. Yeah, I was really interested to read that too, because I never knew that. He was big... He was big, I almost used a Trump quote there bigly. He was hugely involved in folk sessions in the Dyer's Arms in Coventry. And he started up those sessions and you got musicians from all over Britain and Ireland that came to those sessions. Because what you have to remember as well is in the 60s in England, there was a huge folk revival going on. It was happening in Ireland to a lesser extent. But England for folk musicians and Irish musicians at the t- that time in the 60s, England was the place to be. There were folk clubs up and down the country and all of the best musicians, like the tops, the cream of the crop, were doing the circuit, doing the rounds and meeting each other, sharing songs. That is, in my opinion, where probably 70% of the best of folk songs and ballads would have originated or been collected, if that makes sense. And he was involved in this. Pat Cooksey was very highly involved in this. And he, as it says on his own website, he became very friendly with musicians and singers who gathered there. And that included Sean Cannon from the Dubliners. And when they became friendly, Sean picked up this song, The Sick Note, and started playing it live at Dubliners gigs. And I presume, I can only presume, that with the scope of people the Dubliners were reaching, that is how people across the world now know the song today. The Dubliners, like as much as the Clancy Brothers, we we give the Clancy Brothers a lot of credit for for bringing songs out of the dark and into the public but the Dubliners were really Irish folk yeah. songs way into the world out of Ireland out yes. of Britain and exactly. into Europe and I can still easily like I when I go uh, to I go a lot to like garage sales and thrift shops and stuff and look at the old vinyl and I always have an eye open for like trying to yeah. to find some some Irish music which is not very easy when you're in Norway but uh 
every now and then I fi find a Dubliners album and it's always the Dubliners. It's never anything else. <laughs> you know what I find really interesting though? Like maybe it's different in the States, but I could be in a small back arse town in the States and I could find a little dinky record shop or a big record shop. I loved browsing record shops in America when I was there. And I could be in a, literally the middle of nowhere and there would be a record shop and there would be records, vinyls of the Dubliners. Yeah. And sometimes I came across the Furies and sometimes there would be all of these trad musicians that I have never heard of in my life. But the records are exported from Ireland. Like these are old style trad records and I would be looking at these going, who are these people and why are they on sale on vinyl in <laughs> fucking Sausalito? Like... <laughs> Oh, good question it, yeah. it's amazing like but I love that the Clancy Brothers were probably in terms of folk music our most valuable export like they went and they made it for themselves in America and they brought our music to America which in turn made its way back to us the Dubliners kind of went on a different path the Dubliners were huge I know they were huge in America as well but their big thing was they were Dubliners and they were based in Dublin and that was their home and they brought the music from Dublin everywhere else. Yeah. And like they were huge in Europe, I would say. They were massive in Germany and Denmark and Holland and all of these good places. And they were more recognisable in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Their music was more recognisable in Europe whereas the Clancy Brothers kind of brought the world of folk music as a whole these songs and the US in particular would know a lot of the songs because of the Clancy Brothers because of the Flanagan Brothers you know and it all evolved from there yeah yeah that that makes uh, complete sense from from having played in um, a pub folk music band for for many years in Norway I I can safely say that most Norwegian uh, Norwegians relation to Irish music goes through the Dubliners if they're not particularly if they don't don't have a special interest in the field it's the Dubliners that they yeah, know of absolutely and actually really interestingly after saying all of that I've just noticed a quote on Pat Cooksey's website where it actually says in Europe the Dubliners made the song famous under its original title The Signor but Fantastic. in the USA the Clancy Brothers spread the same song coast to coast under the title Dear Boss or Why Paddy's Not at Work Today. Oh, they're the original fuck up. <laughs> I mean, uh, even Pat Cooksey himself has said that the song has been recorded and reproduced under over 100 different titles. Yeah. <laughs> but folks, if you want to find it, it's the sick note or Why Paddy's Not at Work Today. Yeah, and it wouldn't really be a folk song unless it had two or three or four titles. I yeah, mean, yeah, it has to lose its way somewhere along the road, like <laughs> the same as the musicians playing it. If you don't lose your way, it's not folk music. Yeah, it can't be that easy. It's just, it's the sick <laughs> note, it's by Pat Cooksey and that's it. Yeah. It has to be a few different artists and a hundred <laughs> different titles and yeah. yeah. But it kind of <laughs> accentuates what I was saying. The Dubliners made it famous in Europe. The Clancy's made it famous in America. Yeah, and and it says as well. I know we mentioned. I actually never mentioned them in the previous episode that we did. We were talking about the Wild Mountain Time, and I never mentioned. I just realized the Corries, who were actually a very very influential act in performing and spreading the news of the Wild Mountain Time, and the Corries are popping up here again. They made the song a hit in Scotland under the title "The Bricklayer's Song." 
really that's interesting the bricklayer song because the mm-hmm. curries at least um highly like wildly simplified the curries could be seen as the scottish dubliners could they not like um i i would consider them more of in along the lines of the scottish clancy brothers okay yeah well i can get on board <laughs> but yeah so that's that's all interesting stuff this song like many others has done its fair share of traveling and finding itself along the way by the sounds of it and what i feckin love is that the next thing we come across in the world and life of pat cooksey is that he came to county clare on the banner up the banner i never knew that and all my years growing up in Ennis, I never knew that Pat Cooksey was living there. He's in Germany now, apparently. Can you believe that? He left Claire. Well, you did too, so... I mean, yeah, but I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably there. You leave, heart. but you never really leave. But it comes across as he loved Claire. The headline for... As you for do. That se- yeah, as you do. For that segment in his biography is coming home to Claire. <laughs> Which says it all. To be fair, yeah, he moved to Kilfenora in County Clare uh, in 1992, and I love this. Pat had become a keen follower of Gaelic sports during his time in Waterford, and he arrived in Clare at the very moment the Clare footballers won the Munster final for the first time in 60 years. In two hours, in two hours, Pat wrote a song in celebration and performed it on Claire FM radio the same day. Claire FM. Woo. Folks, if you do not want County Clare to steal your heart, do not visit County Clare. <laughs> oh, I second no, that I'm opinion. Only, I'm only joking. Like, well, I'm not. I'm actually serious no, you, because that's it will not steal a joke. your heart. That's a f- yeah. Anyone I know that comes to County Clare either stays or comes back eventually. You know, it says it here. Pat became enchanted with Clare, its wonderful music and its wild landscape and was a keen supporter of the Burn Action Committee. The Burn is a very, very rocky landscape and it's unique in the world. There's nowhere like it in the world. And if you want to see it, come to Clare. If you want to see a lot of things, come to Clare. Here I am again with the board Falsha advertisement. Visit <laughs> County Clare, the best uh, place in the world. Uh, give us a top five of places to see, places to go and things to see in County Clare. You've got the Cliffs of Moher, naturally. Yeah. You've got the Burren, Paul Nimrone, the Dolmen, one of the oldest megalithic tombs in the world. Um, you have got Doolan Caves with one of the largest stalagmites in the world, which is interesting enough. You have got the town of Listoon Varna and the Matchmaking Festival, which happens every year for many, many, many years. One of the longest running festivals in the world. And which is now becoming a movie. It certainly is. And actually, my friends, my bandmates in the Kilkenny's are performing in that movie, Davy Cashin and Mick Martin. So I, I actually don't know the title, but we can go check that out and we'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, the matchmaking festival. What else do we have? We have the home of Hurland, of course. We have Cusick Park. Yeah. We have the medieval town of Ennis, if you want to see some gorgeous sights and play some music or j- join in on music or listen to music in Kilfenora in West Clare as we mentioned on his website is the heart and home of Irish music with the oldest Cayley band in the world the Kilfenora Cayley band they yeah. find their home in Kilfenora naturally and there loads are loads of music festivals well, fantastic we festivals mm-hmm. absolutely the Ennisfla Doolin Folk Fest uh, Willie Week I haven't been to all of these but and Fecal Festival the Fecal yeah. Folk Festival amazing it isn't the um, the session in Shorts Bar in Fecal 
the longest running. I think, if I'm not mistaken from what I read. Weekly session. I think it was the longest running session. I think it was in the Guinness Book of Records. I might be wrong though. In uh, Shorts Bar and Fecal for every Thursday night for years and years and years. They always had a trad session. Even if it fell on Christmas Day, I think they they obviously didn't open the bar because it's not legal, but they would have a trad session. Even now, during the lockdowns, Jerry Short goes live on Facebook every Thursday just to keep the tradition going. That is amazing. (laughs) Visit County Clare. (laughs) Absolutely. So yeah, that's Pat Cooksey, the writer of the song, and I'm highly impressed with his story, I have to say. But, um, Maybe we should uh, try to get him on and talk about uh, talk about why what what was the name why I left Mullingar the reason, the reason I, I left, left Mullingar the reason I left Mullingar I mean it'd be very interesting yeah so that no. is the story of Pat Cooksey and I really like that and I really like his whole thing and his vibe there's actually a picture there on his website of him standing in the middle of Ennis at the the hurling champions 1995 memorial <laughs> as you do. <laughs> Is he wearing a jersey? Um, he's wearing a big black jacket. In the oh, okay. Well, we can imagine that he has a jersey underneath. <laughs> it literally says, In 1995 came one of the highlights of Pat's life. The Clare Hurling team for generations, the under- underdogs of championship hurling, won the All-Ireland Hurling Championship for the first time in 81 years and the county went wild with delight. Pat's songs of celebration, We Were There and The Banner Dream will never be forgotten in Clare from that time. <laughs> This this is turning into a complete like clear jerk. <laughs> I'll have to save some of it for other episodes because there's plenty of that to go around. Yeah, what are we even gonna talk about when we actually hit a clear song? <laughs> everything. Oh my god. We, we need talk to do about everything. Uh I I'll I'll put it out right now, right now, right here, that we would be massively honoured and happy to do a live podcast from the Doolin Folk Fest, from Willy Week, from the Ennis Fla, from the Fecal Festival. Obviously the Fecal Festival would be the per- my personal highlight. If, if we if we could sit and do a live podcast from from uh, Shorts Bar in the Fecal City <laughs> Centre. <laughs> that would be pretty cool I have to admit. That would be fantastic. Or Temple Bar Trad Fest would be a big one for me as well. Oh, it would be fantastic. So folks, if you are listening and you like what you hear, give us an old message. We won't bite, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's move ahead. Oh, we have yeah. we have a black hole of sadness in front of us. We do. Let's delve into it. Boop. In 1986, there's not much for a chippy or swinging a pick. You can't live on love and on love alone. So you sail across the ocean, away across the foam. To where you're a paddy, a biddy or a mick. And you're good for nothing but stacking a brick. Your best mate's a spade and he carries a hod. Two workhorses heavily shod. Those are the lyrics of a song called Missing You by Jimmy McCarthy. And if you go and check out that song, it is powerful, I have to admit. I got Christian to check it out there before we came on. And it is a gorgeous song made famous by Christy Moore, but written and recorded by Jimmy McCarthy as well. And it tells the plight of a man who travels over to London in 1986 to work on the building sites and to become kind of a full-time worker over there so that he can send money home and all of that. But he never found love at home. So he went over alone 
thinking that he doesn't need love and he ended up alone and poor and homeless on the streets of London, which is the case for many, many uh, people who travelled to England at that time, seeking fortune and never finding it. Yeah. And it's it's a sad story, but it, it's sadly true as well. And it's more common than people realise. There's actually a documentary ma- made recently called The Forgotten Irish of London. And it's worth watching. I haven't seen it all yet, but it kind of documents their story and their plight and all of that. I'll never go home because of the shame of a misfit's reflection in a shop window pane. Sad times. <laughs> Certainly sad times. But yeah, basically what happened was... Like I said, at the end of the Second World War is when it began, but when it really, really came to fruition was late 70s and then on through the 80s, there was a mass immigration of young Irish people going to England to work construction because there were no jobs in Ireland whatsoever. That was that was a given. So they would go over there and they would hope every morning, they would wake up and queue up and hope that a ganger man who would be like a site manager or a construction manager would pull up, pick some of them up if he liked them. It was totally up to him. Bring them for work for the day and then pay them at the end of the day and see them on their merry way. Or lucky ones would get contracted for longer times. But it was a very, very few and far between thing or very sporadic. You had to hope for the best a lot of the time unless you got taken on for full projects. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So they would be doing that and the ones that had families at home because everyone and anyone had to go to England, the ones with families at home and the ones without, the ones that had families at home would send all of their money home and they would live as cheaply as possible in digs or anywhere they could find. Like it was very, very hard for Irish people at the time to find a place to live over there or even just a place to sleep and to find work. As we said, this was a time when a lot of Irish people would have been considered terrorists because of other things and troubles that were happening in Ireland and in England and you know yourself all the stuff that was going on in the north which we will probably touch on in another episode when we're talking about different songs but um yes there was a very lowly view of Irish people in England at the time to the extent that when Irish workers would go looking for digs or for a place to stay they would be met with signs outside that would say I'm actually going to quote it because the quote is better than anything I'm going to say if finding work was difficult, finding accommodation was even more so. No cats, no dogs, no children, no Irish, no blacks. And that is what a woman called Anne O'Neill recalls seeing on notices all over North London. And that was the case for everyone. They would be very lucky to find a place or they would already have an older brother or a family member who went to England before them and they would stay with them. In which case, two Irish brothers might end up sleeping in the same single bed. You know? It's this, this, this is how bad it got. And they would be working for, I won't say little to no wages, but very bad wages a lot of the time. And it is also remembered that sometimes if the ganger man didn't like you, you might not get paid at all. It says he what would arrive, could you do? Like... He would arrive for the day at six in the morning and his word was law. If he liked you, you got taken on. If he didn't and the rules seemed to shift and change, you got nothing or were sent home at the end of the day without pay. And this was hard work as well this was like even if you were one of the lucky ones this yeah. was like properly back breaking work and as you uh, can hear in the song we're talking about yeah <laughs> so 
So if you went over as a, a young man, you would not be able to maintain and and you were lucky and you counted yourself as lucky if you got work and you got a lot of work, but you would not be able to maintain that lifestyle for for a long life. That is is yeah. for sure. So so a lot of people, like you said, Josh, they they ended up as as homeless. Yeah, this is the other thing. And it's not just mainly like they were exploited financially, first of all. Sometimes they wouldn't even be given their wages. Second of all, a lot of the bosses at the time would be taking a percentage of their wage as stamp duty, as taxes and stamp, and saying they're putting it into a pension and not doing that and keeping it for themselves. These men were all off the books. Well, a lot of them would have been. So they were happy enough to be paying into a pension without realizing that they weren't being paid into a pension. And by the time their retirement came, they were left with nothing. Yeah. And a lot of them were feckin' left sitting on the side of the road with nowhere to go. And as Jimmy McCarthy famously said in his song, I'll never go home now because of the shame of a misfit's reflection in a shop window pane. Like these people were felt like they were hard done by by the Irish. They were hard done by by the English. It's it's really sad. What to say? Like it's it's terrible. And you've already mentioned, Josh. This is the topic of a lot of songs, and we have already discussed that we need to need to get an episode going for MacAlpine's Fusiliers, and yeah. we've talked about Paddy on the Road, and there are so many songs. So this is is necessarily going to be a reoccurring topic. So we're we're not going to exhaust it completely today. For sure. But but just to open it up like it it is it is a sad sad story about uh, though there are success stories as well don't get me wrong like the actual young men that would have gone over and started construction companies and became (laughs) i suppose in a way some of them became the men that exploited the other irishmen but we won't talk about that i mean they have serious success stories like it says here murphy's murphy's construction which still exists by the way some of these construction companies are still in the rich list for the most like the highest earning and highest grossing companies in the UK today so Murphy's for example is an example of an Irish success story according to the independent.ie the late John Murphy's company was ranked 297th on the Sunday Times rich list 2009 with an aggregate wealth of 190 million pounds like again these would have been the men Wimpy Ash Johnny Lang McAlpine not saying all of them, but a lot of them, a good scalp of them, would have been the men that would have made up these fake pension plans and exploited Irish workers and taken them on and thrown them away and taken them on and like waking up in the morning wondering if you were going to get work that day. Yeah. No, I mean, we can both probably relate to living from paycheck to paycheck or on relatively short. Uh, yeah, as many uh, people can. As many people can, uh, but living like to that extent yeah. where you know that you have to get up at, at six o'clock in the morning and you don't know if you have work that that day. Yeah. And, and if you don't get work, then there's no money and you need to hope that you you get work the next day. Like that sounds like. Yeah. And bear in mind, the these, hell on earth. these are the men that built England. Everything you see in London and Manchester, aside from the brand new constructions, which, by the way, are still very much being done by Irish construction companies, but we won't talk about that. But a lot of the buildings made from the 1950s to the 2000s were very, very much 
constructed by the Irish. The Irish built England into what it is, in a physical sense at least. Do you think that that some of this has, uh, or all of this, has something to do with with why Ireland, to a larger extent than England, and especially in the folk song world, have has some socialist tendencies? If you if you look at the likes of Andy Irvine, like the he he's writing. <laughs> Uh, workers union songs and songs about great leaders of socialist uh, socialist parties and another man that spent a partial amount of his childhood in England at a time at the turn like not the turn of the century but the turn of the mid-century when a lot of this stuff was going down yeah you know yeah so like it, <laughs> it these is people that write these songs are the ones that have first-hand experience and I would love love to talk to some people that have first-hand experience of all of this and what was going on and what happened and I really want to watch the rest of that documentary too like it's really sad but it's really like this whole idea of the forgotten Irish that I would hate to think would be forgotten they're the ones that made a difference you know yeah and not only that but the people left at home the women and children like even my even my grandfather spent a lot of the 80s and 90s working construction in England like he was a carpenter and he had solid work, thank God, but he was over there and he was sending money home. And my mom, when she was young, can remember him living and working in England. And I remember, I actually remember as a child every now and then going to the airport to pick up my granddad and being really excited to see him because he was still working over there until the mid to late 90s. And you said, you said that uh, in in one single year, the the amount of money sent from England to Ireland amounted to over 13 million pounds. This is amazing. This is for the year 1961, which is kind of pre what I'm talking about. This would be more the Andy Irvine era, like, if you know what I mean, when, again, 60s, 70s, 80s, it was all there, like, there was mass immigration and the Irish were building England from the time that the Second World War ended. I'm actually, I, I know we're trying not to quote things too much, but this is a really interesting article. The Forgotten Irishmen Who Built Britain on Independent.ie. And just to give you a bit of context, I'm going to quote this because a lot of the Irish people that went over looking for work didn't see it as a permanent or long-term thing, you know. But it just became that from lack of finances and lack of money and having to look after, look after people at home. So it says, A strange irony that many men who immigrated to Britain, which was only a boat trip away, suffered most precisely because of the geographical proximity. I'm going home soon, was the mantra. Asher, I'll only be here for a while. Such a feeling of being temporary had serious repercussions. The men did not put down roots or become part of a network that might help to look after them in their declining years. On the other hand, one of their strongest motivations in staying on was looking after those left at home. Ten shilling notes, pound notes, postal orders, checks, money flowed home from immigrants' pockets, keeping the home fires burning. And it says then, like you said, in one year alone, 1961, the value of immigrant remittances reached £13.5 million. The entire primary and secondary education budget of the state of Ireland that year was £14 million. So the forgotten Irish educated an entire generation from afar. They laid the foundations for the Celtic Tiger, and it's not their fault we blew it. That is goosebumpy material. That, that, That is powerful. Yeah, and we're don't be don't be afraid. We'll put the link to that article in the show notes, and we Absolutely. highly recommend that you you go in and you read it. If you read this, you will understand a whole 
subcategory of Irish music, folk music. Yeah, and entirely because this same era, this these people was happening at the same time as the folk revolution in England. This folk music revival and the folk clubs I mentioned previously, this mass immigration and construction was happening at the same time. I can very much understand why the Irish music revival happened in England as opposed to in Ireland because the best of us at that time were bred for export. Which in, at times I still believe, I still believe Ireland tries to breed people for export, but we won't get into that. That's a whole other type of podcast. But yeah, I think but, that the best of us were over there and that's why it kicked off over there. It happened here as well, of course. It happened here too. And you have a lot of signs of that. But it happened in a big way in England with the folk clubs. But what was the state of of Ireland? What was the story back home? Why 19- were there no jobs? Why was nothing happening? 1960s in Ireland was still massively agricultural, rural farm. You had the farm. The society worked off of the farm still, even in the 60s. Okay, imagine you're one of a family of three or four brothers. One brother might stay on the farm. The other th- the other three brothers need work. One might become a priest because Ireland was highly religious and every family had a priest. Not like, not literally, but <laughs> yeah. in general. Yeah. There, was a, there was always a joke that one brother became a priest and the other became a doctor. But that third brother, the one that's left behind, what does he do? Yeah. You know, a priest, yep. a priest, a doctor, a farmer. Okay. The last, the last lad is going to have to do something. He can't stay here. Like yeah. you literally, you were, you were brought up, you were brought up under the knowledge that you weren't going to be living and working in Ireland. Like that wasn't an option. If you were going to be working in construction, you were going to have to leave. Yeah. You know, there and was then, no yeah. there was no money or industry in the country at that time for that. Ireland Ireland was a rural country, except for maybe in Dublin. And they were only like this idea of multinational corporations and international travel. It still didn't ex- even up to the 60s and 70s. The idea of going abroad was a very final thing. Yeah. Like a flight to England up until the early 2000s could have cost hundreds of pounds. Yeah. And. Do you think that going to, um, like you said, uh, or quoted the sense of temporariness, do you think that was a wanted thing for them, that they only went to England to have the option of of hopefully coming home, as opposed to going to America where you probably could have made a much better life for yourself, but you knew that that was uncertainty, probably... A final decision. Yeah, like I mentioned to you before, at that time, a lot of people that went to Ireland, they still held wakes for them when they went to America. Yeah. Because it was, they were treating it like the person was dying. They were going to America. They weren't coming back, you know. Whereas going to England, at least from what I think, I think a lot of people went to England under the premise that there's work in England. We can go over, we can do our work and we can come home. Yeah. There's nothing here in Ireland. At least there's something in England. Let's go there and see what happens. Yes. This gets me thinking of um in the name of the father as you know one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah. Uh obviously that was that was in in Belfast and under different circumstances but it it wasn't then in the 70s and the main like the main character and well obviously the real person um What's his name again? Jerry... Jerry Conlon. Jerry Conlon. Uh, he's 
like he's a bit of a troublemaker in the movie and then his father just you you can't stay here just go to england and try to find something to do yeah. and he hopped on the ferry it seems like it was the natural thing to do for mm-hmm. for the people that couldn't find their their place in yeah at home yeah i think it was because you at the time like even even now it there's echoes of it and it's still there but at the time it was worse like at the time there was nowhere to go there was like going to college was a distant distant dream you know everyone in ireland t- took up a trade at the time not not everyone obviously but the majority of people would be taking up trades and apprenticeships some of them couldn't even get trades or apprenticeships in ireland because like each town might have one engineer or one butcher or this or that you know so they would have to go to england even to get a trade so they would have a a very strong sense from the beginning that there was nothing here for them and there was no such thing back then as hanging around an awful lot of people from the age of 14 would get the boat to england yeah the other thing is you might you might be able to work in a shop or deliver papers or scrimp together enough money over the course of a year to afford a boat to England. It would be a hell of a lot harder to earn that money to go to America. Oh you know? yeah. yeah. Like for example the movie Brooklyn. I don't know if you've seen the movie Brooklyn with Saoirse Ronan. But she works in a shop and she saves and saves for what I would say is several years. I can't remember exactly before she finally makes enough money to go to America. And I think yeah. like she has to sacrifice some of the money at one stage because her mother is sick and she needs to help her mother get better. And like this is another thing. Some people became trapped in Ireland because they couldn't afford to leave or they had to use the money for more important things like the family. Jesus, yeah. And that's why people at home ended up so poor as well. Like imagine you were the only uh, able-bodied person that could go over and work, but you're also the only son of a family and your parents are old and sick and they need someone to look after the farm. And suddenly you're, you're looking after the farm. Or sadly, when the parents would pass away, you're left with this farm and you're saying, I don't want to be here. But at that point, you might be in your 40s or 50s and you're not able-bodied enough to go and work anymore. And suddenly you're left behind. Or the other sense of it, you could be the only one that has earned money and saved money in Ireland. And you've been saving it to go to America and make a real life for yourself. And suddenly something comes up and you have to use that money and then you're trapped in Ireland again. And this depression spawned a lot of, or this trapping in Ireland for some people spawned an awful lot of drinkers and alcoholic problems and things like that as well like there is an alcohol problem in ireland that stems from things like this it's a country riddled with depression and constantly being fucked over by others and uh yeah Basically, to make a long story short from what you were saying, at the time, there was no jobs in Ireland. So if you wanted a job or a good life, you had to go abroad. But most of the time, you couldn't afford to go abroad. So like you said, you're kind of being fecked over from every angle. Yeah. A lot of people could have made really good lives for themselves had they had the opportunity to leave. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I'm thinking here. That, yeah. that, seemed, that seems to be... That's the impression I have too is that it's so much more common over there to have that idea that that you're leaving that you're emigrating like mm-hmm. i i don't think i know anyone in norway that would consider themselves to, to having emigrated to yeah. l- have left norway forever 
Like most people yeah. want to come back at some stage. <laughs> this is the idea of a happy and well-constructed nation, Christian. Like you've got your shit together. I read actually, I read something really interesting that said after any national crisis or national tragedy or something big in the national framework of a country, it takes a minimum of seven generations to fully get over it or and get past only, it. And it's been crisis after crisis after crisis. Well, this is the thing, like, when does it end? <laughs> but, like, that's what I said, like, a well-constructed, like, well-conceived, happy nation like Norway, people aren't going to be brought up being told they have to go abroad. Now, people in Ireland aren't being brought up being told that much these days. A lot of people still are. Yeah, like, a lot of people in Ireland wouldn't be brought up to think that these days, but they would still, there's a sense, I think, in the national psyche and in the upbringing that it almost has to happen at least for a while. Yeah. And with the prices of rent, the prices of, God forbid, buying something and then yeah. the lack of jobs. Yeah. You can still see, like, there's thousands of Irish people still going to Australia and Canada. Even in the 60s there, the 1950s and 60s, like I said from that article, we had, uh, what was it, six of every ten children? Yeah, six of every ten children born between 1931 and 1941 went to England to the building sites, gas pipelines, hospitals and hotels. Actually, this this makes me think of um, a brilliant, though, again, like, although funny, really sad sketch by Foil Arms and Hogg, uh, a great three-piece comedy group uh, that you can find online. They have uh, a sketch on, on immigration or emigration on uh, the doctor that is leaving Ireland and he's at the airport and there's a government agent trying to to just keeping keep him from leaving you, you should definitely go in and, and watch that and just check their work they're they're absolutely great they have some amazing amazing folk song sketches oh they're uh, brilliant oh, so there. good <laughs> we can we can talk more about yeah. that later and they're always yeah. said in irish pubs which is what i love yeah <laughs> Except for the one in the courtroom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh. Brilliant. But like getting into that kind of lighthearted nature of what we're talking about. There's a serious crack in culture in the Irish pubs and Irish community in England, even to this day. Like because that was where they all congregated. Like the men that were over there, obviously they were away from their families and they were working and they had a community built around Irish pubs where they would go and meet other Irish and serious crack like and again like that's most likely where these folk clubs originated from and where Irish folk music would have blown up and become popular at this time in England Irish people in Irish bars having the crack and building Irish communities around the basis of immigration for construction and there are you you know Irish towns, for example, in London. You know Camden Town is an Irish town. You know you know that Cricklewood is going to be full of Irish when you go there, even if they're second or third generation. I have family there. You know. Yeah. This again, this is recent history. I have many second cousins in London, in Cricklewood and Camden Town, because that would be where my great uncles would have gone for work. Yep. And they would have been brought up there. That's that's the way the cookie crumbles, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've had well, I've had great nights in Cricklewood and in Camden Town, like even with the National Folk Orchestra when we played in the Barbican, we stayed in the, the Cricklewood Hotel, I think it was, and loads of Irish kinda congregated for a big after party and 
the, the best crack in the world, you know, and traveling with the Kilkennys and the Furies all around England, the Irish community is one of the hearts of that community and you will have serious fun with them. That is really interesting and um, obviously the, the Irish communities around the world yeah, and the way the Irish uh, people have, have left and emigrated is, is an important factor why Irish music yeah. is spread and Irish so, so. culture is spread. You can just look at Celtic FC in yeah. in Glasgow like that was an Irish priest in Glasgow that uh, <laughs> was trying to feed the Irish the poor Irish in Glasgow at that time absolutely and, and the reason like that's what he did he yeah. he started a football club club and all the money it generated and the money they were given went to feed the poor Irish in Glasgow it's like, interesting that you said that because the Blind Boy podcast literally two nights ago talks about the foundation of Celtic Football Club. Oh, really? That's yeah, interesting. His new yeah. episode called A House Built by Ghosts and a Car Made of Hash. <laughs> yeah. Well, but yeah, he actually, th- that's really interesting that you mentioned that. But yeah, um, it's something that really struck me. Um, I toured like all around England with the Furies in 2019 and the Irish communities are massive. And not only the Irish, but the people who married into the Irish communities and the friends of the Irish communities and the children and grandchildren of the Irish communities. There's so much good nature and good vibes there still to this day. And like playing with the Furies, you meet a lot of the older generation who had so many stories about the old days. Like you you can't beat it. Like even though some of them were sad about never going home, like one I remember one woman at the at a gig I played was in her 90s and she said she was talking about Limerick and she loved Limerick and it was her home and she hadn't seen it in over 78 years and she was really upset like which made me sad to talk to her and she told yeah. me about her husband who had died and their one wish was that they could go home and they just never did and now it feels like it's been too long and they can't you know like even even if it's financially feasible now a lot of them say to themselves I haven't been home in 70 years there's nothing there for me why why would I go back you know it's almost it's a sadness and a a feeling that there's nothing there for them and it would only make it worse if they visited you know that kind of way that must be so heartbreaking to to miss a physical place that it's still right there but it's it's just not like it wouldn't help to go home because it's not the place you left and the people that you left they aren't there. This makes me think again of um, Spansel Hill, yeah, uh, and that sentiment in like, yeah. oh, I I went to, I went back to the place where I'm from. I dreamt that I went back, but all all the people that I knew, all the old ones, they were dead. All the young ones were now all grey yeah. and old, and and then I woke again and I'm yeah. I'm back here in California many miles from Spansel Hill and this is something that's built into the Irish psyche which is really interesting like even the ancient ancient myths and legends of Ireland the story of Oisin in Tirnanog he goes away over the sea to the land of Tirnanog which is the land of eternal youth with a beautiful fairy woman and he lives there for hundreds of years but he gets sad because he misses home and he comes home and she tells him Okay, but you ha- while you're visiting, you have to stay on your horse. If you set foot off your horse, you're going to turn to ash because you're hundreds of years old. And he goes home and nothing is like it was. The country is overgrown with trees. All his friends and family are gone. He doesn't recognize the place. And it just like 
it kills him and he, he wants to go back to Tiernan Oog then but he sees an old man pushing a boulder and he tries to help him move the boulder and falls off his har- horse and turns to dust <sighs> but like again like you go over and you live somewhere for 70 years and maybe for 35 of those years or even for 20 of those years you're building a life for yourself and you can't afford to go home or there's always a reason not to if you know what I mean however much you want to and then suddenly it becomes 25 years 30 years and you're thinking to yourself Jesus what's like I I miss home so much but what's the point if I go back there's nothing there for me and it would it would I think if you went home after that amount of time it would probably make the sentiment worse yeah because but, it's not the place that you came from yeah but if you that makes it that puts irish americans in in a very understandable light if if you're an irish american uh and your grandparents uh for years and years and this doesn't necessarily have to be irish americans irish Nor- <laughs> not irish norwegians uh norwegian americans too but if if you've if you've had your grandparents that left everything they knew their home uh to build a new life uh tell you all about the old country uh Mm -hmm. for years and years and years like that feeling of finally returning that must be a very strong uh like a a sense of something that has to be done and i Mm -hmm. really i really appreciate that how strong that feeling can be and how Mm. how strong that bonds towards that country or that place must feel even though to irish people today like they can say yeah no you're not you're not irish you're american but that feeling is not something that you would feel if you're if you're born in like like me and you that are born in our own countries and have no have no people telling us those stories about that place that long forgotten place that you want to go back to some people would always always have that love and that cross. i think everyone that leaves would but even after 70 years there's a form of bitterness as well you know they they want to but they can't and because they can't they hate it and they would try to forget as much of it as possible yeah which yeah i'm only gonna get myself emotional thinking about that stuff oh I was going to try to move us uh, towards the... Um, the drink? Y- yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to mention anyway. Like, no, no again, go on. That, that culture and the Irish bar and the big Irish community and all the crack. I didn't realise until I read something recently the kind of dark sentiments that were hidden within that as well. Because many Irish people who wouldn't have been big drinkers became big drinkers because of the lifestyle and the way that they had to live when they immigrated to England and again that same article talks about it I won't quote it this time but they talked about how a lot of the Irish people that went over there it's not that they were illegitimate but they wouldn't have been registered workers in England they would have been working for cash which is understandable because all the cash is being sent in an envelope back home you know so with that in mind they wouldn't have been members of banks all of their payment would have come in checks and postal orders so they had to cash a check and more the only place in England at the time that would cash a cheque for Irish workers was the Irish pub. So when they get their paycheck at six o'clock, they have to bring it into the Irish pub and hand it to the barman. And the barman 
would then be under instructions not to give them their money until after midnight. Why? To get them to drink or for to practical reasons? To get okay. them to stay and wait. So they would stay in the bar and probably drink half of their wages while waiting for their wages. As in it yeah. would be on a tab. It would be deducted from their wages at the end of the night. And as well as that, they would have to buy feckin' pints for their ganger man, for their boss. Because if they didn't, they might not be hired the next day. I, so I find w- myself go- just going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't have much to say. Like this, it's so dark. Yeah. And yet completely true. Yeah. It's one of the reasons that there is such a relationship between the Irish and drinking in society and societal norms. Because all of these Irish people would have been seen to be every evening in the Irish pubs, but they had to go there to get their money. So because of that, they probably would have built up dependencies on the drink or they would have thought to themselves, Jesus, I can't get through this evening now without a drink after that hard day. You know, the Irish pub built on broken dreams and broken backs. (laughs) Some of the Irish pubs, not all of them. (laughs) Jesus. I've been in plenty and plenty of Irish pubs around the UK and Ireland and I've had serious crack and I haven't been waiting for any money. I've just been spending money and yeah. so have a lot of them lads. I'm not saying that this is the case with every single person that was over there doing this, but it was it was a very common theme. It was yeah. something that happened quite a lot. But on a happier note, Josh, that has I, I feel like we've we can to to some very small extent uh recognize uh, that situation on being in a pub playing music, uh having your wages ready Absolutely. for you at the end of the night and by the time you get them you have worked <laughs> yourself up to a, a tab that uh, is a serious deduction from the pay that you're actually gonna get well, when, when you put it that way it doesn't sound so bad does it no it doesn't really <laughs> that's very true that's so the price of the, the crack you have they're not the only ones <laughs> <laughs> and as it, as it says there as well like the the Irish pub over there the pub became a focus for those who felt caught who felt adrift from home as it says anyone that felt left out or missing the crack could go to any Irish pub and meet 50 other lads from Ficken Mayo and Waterford and have the crack with them and it was like being at home yeah and you if know? you if you turn the other way around like if if they didn't have the pub and they were living in uh, terrible conditions maybe like you said a single bed shared with or a shared room with yeah. three four other people like what would they do and yeah. especially if they already had a family at home so they couldn't go out and try to meet women they couldn't go out <laughs> try to actually put down roots and make a yeah. family or do anything like that like the alternative would be much worse yeah. just sitting at home in a room uh, just feeding Absolutely. that depression which is where Irish clubs and Irish Catholic clubs and Irish pubs like we said would have stemmed from that they would have gone out to be social because they don't want to sit at home in a, in a room on their own yeah and and this ties in I think with, with pub history in general like public houses the point yeah. of the pub being that they it was much better to get the people in there to drink a pint which was at that point looked at as fairly healthy compared to raving <laughs> around in the street drinking like liter upon liter of gin or whiskey <laughs> or some hard li- yeah but if if they yeah. were sitting in their own accommodations like fucking slogging the hard stuff that would have been much worse it stems a whole other generation of people that we didn't really touch on there as well. Like, 
the young Irish people that went over there without families that would have built roots and built families over there around the Catholic clubs and Cayleys and dancing and singing and fucking Irish bars like that became an entire life for those people and they loved it <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> two very two very different worlds but yeah as Blind Boy would say two cheeks of the same arse <laughs> And on that uh, tiny bit happier note, Josh, uh, Paddy and his sick note. What what is the story there? What what's his excuse? <laughs> so poor Paddy, basically, as as you probably heard in the song itself, if you've listened to it, folks, was given an order by the ganger man who we mentioned, who is the boss on site, to carry a load of bricks down from the roof of the building, and. He wants to do it in a handy way, like with a ladder and a bucket. Or Basically, he had a million ideas as to how he could do this in an easy way. But the ganger man ordered him to carry the bricks on his hod. And as we described in a different episode, a hod is like a... It's like a, a plank of wood that goes over your shoulder to carry things on. So could you imagine climbing down from 14, 15 floors on a ladder with a plank of wood covered in bricks on your shoulder? <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, I couldn't say for for sure that I would probably be dead. Yep, so many Irishmen did have to do this at the time, but didn't go so well for Paddy here in this song. As I'm sure you heard, he had some ingenious ideas as to how he could make life easier for himself, but they didn't turn out so well. Let's just say he ended up on the ground with some broken ribs and a left arm broken and black and blue, and not only that, he had the bricks in a barrel on a pulley and when he hit the ground, he let go of the rope and the barrel full of bricks came down on top of him. <laughs> yeah. He was writing a wee letter to his boss to let him know why he wasn't coming to work the next day. In reality, I I don't think his boss would have cared. <laughs> no, in from what we've already talked about, he probably wouldn't have to write a letter at all. <laughs> he just wouldn't have been there to get picked up for work the next day. Pretty but much. but for for people just listening to the song and not digging into the history, it's not hard to understand why it just sounds like a comedic so and it is a comedic song, but a comedic yeah. song about an excuse letter and bullshit yeah, about, excuses about a lad that's fake arson around the building site and does a couple of stupid things and ends up hurting himself yeah <laughs> you know? sometimes I think about it because even when I was a child and we were playing in sessions around Clare if there was an audience someone would always stop and sing the sick note unaccompanied and the whole audience would laugh their heads off and the first time I heard it or the sec- first or second time I would have laughed as well and then when I actually stopped and thought about it I was like What's funny about this? This man is getting seriously injured. (laughs) (laughs) It's not until you actually pay attention and go, why does everybody laugh at this song? It's really hard to understand why. But everybody does because the first time you hear it, you do laugh. Like that whole whole line, as I lay sprawling on the floor, I let go the feckin' rope. (laughs) It's the way, I think it's the way it's worded. It's brilliant. Yeah. (laughs) And then the idea of uh, of it potentially not being true and yeah. it just being a bullshit excuse. Exactly. I think that's where the humour is based because literally if this man had done this, he would be dead. Yeah. <laughs> like now, but, he's, he's making this up so that he can't, doesn't have to go to work. Listen here, boss. You won't believe it, but this actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
this actually happened and I'm actually lying with every bone in my body broken and just so you know I'm not coming to work <laughs> and at the point of when this is set as well like there there would have been no such thing as sick pay or sick leave <laughs> or it doesn't really matter but unless he was one of the higher up more contracted workers but if he was he wouldn't have been asked to do that job so yeah <laughs> and he probably wouldn't have been that stupid true very true <laughs> well it's a miracle that he survived and I'd love to have a chat or a pint with him sometime and see how he's getting on yeah you two could change uh, exchange ideas we could we bullshit could excuses <laughs> <laughs> we're both quite good at that by the sounds of it so yeah oh yeah guys if you're gonna write in bullshit excuses to work you might want to be a bit more realistic is basically what we're getting at there don't break every bone in your body. Just break an arm or something. Yeah. Don't blame the dog. He. We all know dogs don't eat homework. <laughs> the poor old dog. We all know what happened to him at the end of the Irish Rover. <laughs> Actually, when you... Now you're getting me to think that the Irish Rover could have been just an elaborate excuse as well. <laughs> why you why you didn't come into work after seven years on the sea the missions broke out and the ship lost its way in the fog and the whale of a crew was reduced down to two just myself and the captain's old dog and the ship struck a rock oh lord what a shock the bulkhead was turned right over it turned nine times around and the poor old dog was drowned and that's why I'm late for work today <laughs> and at which point the boss says well you were here yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you, you must have had a rough night, so. <laughs> With the headache I have, it feels like last night must have been seven years at <laughs> and, least. And a nightmare in the middle of the night that lasted seven years. <laughs> Guys, write us in whatever elaborate excuses you have for not writing us a review or better still write us a review and if You're... you want to I had this idea as well if you have any stories you want to tell us or elaborate bullshit excuses or anything along those lines sing them to us send us a little video and we will feature our favourite ones oh yes yes sing and us by... a few lines Shan knows it up to fake <laughs> and by our fa our favourite ones we mean Every single one. <laughs> yeah. If anyone wants to send us any few lines of anything, musically, we would love to feature ye. But verbally too. Like, if you have yeah. a story to tell or anything, you can mm -hmm. certainly... We've been pushing the emails because we think that is the easiest thing to do. But if you want to record yourself with your phone or a recorder or anything at all, just send us in a voicemail. That yeah. would be amazing. We Even will a voice feature note on Facebook Messenger, we would love to feature that stuff because that would be fucking hilarious. It only entered my head there, but yeah, let's do it. Yes, yes. There may be prizes for the best and most interesting ones. You would never know. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to feature some sort of competition soon if we want to yeah. get some reviews going. Mm -hmm. Toralura podcast, that is our at handle on Instagram. It that... is also where you will find us on Facebook, Toralura. And if you want to email us, what was it again, Christian? It's Toralura podcast at gmail dot com. Two O's in. Tura. Two O's in. Lura. And what is the story with the sweet, sweet stars? 
The Sweet Sweet Stars is something you can give us if you go into Apple Podcast on your phone and you scroll all the way to the bottom inside of the Turalura page profile thingy. You can go down and you can click them stars. Give us preferably five, but you could give us four, three, two, Do one. It. Do it now. Or just not give us any stars at all. But Do you- it. <laughs> you can also write a review. You can leave a review by clicking that little button and writing a few elaborate sentences of why people should check out Turalura. And if you're not going to do it, we expect you to write us a sick note or an excuse letter as to why not, in 300 words or less. Yes. Write us in a review, an email, a Facebook message. Share us on your Instagram story. Yes. That's and a big I, one. Yeah. And I think we've begged enough for please for a whole please life. Please write me a review. <laughs> I don't have anything else to say, Josh. This has been a heavy Josh episode. I haven't. It, it has. I greatly apologise for all my bullshit speaking. No, but I hope I, that I've been able to enlighten you all a little bit this evening in terms of recent Irish history and some of the stuff that goes along with it. And of course, in future episodes, we will be delving into other aspects of what we spoke about today. But I've I want to thank you Josh I've greatly appreciated this I certainly learned a lot and I found it immensely interesting and I'm glad that I didn't have to spew out any of my bullshit and interrupt you because <laughs> we'll save that for the next episode yeah this was really interesting <laughs> thanks a million for engaging with me and thank you folks for tuning in it's been a pleasure and what do we say to Ralura to Ralura Oh my god. <laughs>